am ready to preach today, and uh, I have um, been away for a while from preaching. Um, we took some family time for vacation. I spoke at our outdoor service, but it's been a while since um, I've stood on this stage and communicated, and uh, so you got, all need to buckle up, and uh, I got a lot to say, and uh, we're going to say it today, all right? No, hey. But I do want to ask you guys, um, I want to welcome everybody watching online. We're honored to have you with us, and uh, we believe that the Lord is doing something here at Destiny Church and um, good stuff. But I just want to ask you guys today, are you okay if we have a little bit of an honest conversation today? Can we just, how many of you guys would just let me have an honest conversation as your pastor? Um, I don't want to be so preachy today. You know, I think, I think one of the things I've realized is we've become refined in our preaching. And, uh, and I'm speaking for myself, and this is no, no, no judgment towards any other communicator. But I think we've become so refined in our preaching that we've almost become entertainers. Because we felt like we have to entertain people to keep them in the seats. When it should just simply be about Jesus and Jesus alone and your journey and you're chasing after him and it's my job just to communicate the gospel to you, not to entertain you, right? And so I just want to have an honest conversation today. I don't want to entertain you. I might get loud. I might get quiet. I might cry. I might shout. I might run. Who knows? I don't know. But I just want to have an honest conversation today with what's on my heart. Um... I'll probably say this again in a minute, but I feel like I, I told our intercessors before service today, I'm 48 years old. I know I, I look much younger. I know I look 28, but I am 48. Don't be surprised. I am, but I've been in ministry since I was 19 years old. So almost 30 years I've been preaching the gospel and I've preached all over the world and I've preached hundreds of thousands of messages and I've had other messages that have stirred my heart, um, and I knew were for that moment. But I feel like I have a word from the Lord is directly for our church, but I feel like I have a word from the Lord that's directly for the body of Christ. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you guys, if any of you listen to other pastors communicate, I wouldn't be surprised that you hear other pastors start teaching on this very subject. Because I believe this is something the Lord is speaking to the church. So I feel like today's message is as important as anything I've ever preached to as your pastor. I've actually already talked to Pastor Ed this morning um, via text and via phone. And I told him, I, I know that they're all driving back today. And I said, I, I would love to have as many of you watch this sermon as possible. Not so that I get likes. I don't even see likes anymore. I got rid of... Facebook and Instagram, and I'm not on it anymore. And somebody asked me today, like, are you not on there? I haven't seen it. I'm not on there. I don't care if you like anything because I don't post it anymore, you know. But I just feel like I have a word from the Lord, and, I, and um, I'm not going to rush through this message today. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to allow the Lord to kind of navigate it. I've got notes on paper, um, but... I talked to Mariah this week, my daughter, and I was struggling. I, this message has been really burning in me since 2020, this message. 
And about two, three weeks ago, the Lord said it's time to like preach this. And so I've known that I have this, but I was not able to get what was here and here on here, if that makes sense. I couldn't, I was like, so I told Mariah, she's like, how are you ready for your sermon? And I, this was like Tuesday. And I was like, I don't, I don't have anything on paper. I said, I might just stand up there and just be like, okay, Lord, here we go. But, but the Lord allowed me to put some things on paper. And so I just want to have just a real honest conversation with you. And I hope this lands for all of us. And I hope you like allow the Lord to do what he wants to do. We okay with that today? We cool with that? As most of you know, this year, the year um, here at Destiny Church, we theme it. The year is themed the table. And we've been talking about that and spending time around the table. And it's not always a literal physical table, but having conversations. We know that you've been having table groups and we've heard good things from those groups. But the underlying theme of this year is the word discipleship. Discipleship. And one of our key verses for the year is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, where Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. He's closing out his letter, and he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words, Be joyful and grow to maturity. And then he says, Encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. But this word, be joyful and grow to maturity. Everybody say grow. Say it again, say grow. grow. Grow to maturity. I think we've missed that in the church. I think we've missed the growing. I think we've missed the growing part altogether. And I think many of us, we said yes to Jesus and we stopped there in our journey. And, and, and hear me today, there's no finger pointing in this message. This is just, this is what the Lord's been speaking to my heart, and this is what the Lord's been doing in me, and so you just get the benefits of it. But I think we've missed out on the maturity part. Tasha and I were on staff at a church years ago, um, and uh, I, I won't even say where or anything. I, I, it's not about that. It's just, I remember... I watched these people. I had traveled to this church and spoke there as an evangelist in the 90s. And then we ended up on staff there. And I remembered one point in time, I'm, I'm looking at the people in the church. And it was the same people that had been there when I traveled as an evangelist. And they were living the same lives, same sins, same stuff. And I remember I looked at the pastor and I said, man, many of these people have been in the same place for 14 years. They've not left that sin behind. And I think we've stopped and we've missed out on the growth part and we've missed out on the maturity part. And what the Lord has been showing me in prayer in my own personal life, but even in the body of Christ, the Lord spoke to me even this week in prayer. He says, Chad, you're all still infants. And I saw a playpen. If you guys remember those playpens we had put kids in? Are they outlawed yet? Are they politically correct? I don't know. Like to put our kids in one of those? I don't know. I haven't, I, I haven't had a child in a few years, so I don't know. I remember we bought one of those things that you can shape, and we put our kids in there, and it's like, all right, now I can do whatever. But, um, but I saw this picture this week of a playpen, and the Lord said, you all 
are spiritual infants in a spiritual playpen. And he said, many in the body of Christ are still sucking on spiritual pacifiers. Remember, you guys said we could have an honest conversation, right? So just remember, I asked you before, so if you get mad, and if you were here last week, I told you wear steel-toed boots, all right? I just, so, but I think this message is important. And there is no condemnation, there is no judgment, there is no finger pointing, unless I'm pointing it back at myself. Because the Lord spoke to my heart this week. And when he first of all started speaking to me about spiritual infancy and all of that, I started thinking of people in our church. Not like, oh, they're that, that person. I just started thinking like, Lord, what do you want me to say? And the Lord's like, no, Chad, I'm talking to you. I've been a pastor, as I said at the beginning, for almost 30 years now. And the Lord told me you still have areas in your life where you're a spiritual infant. But let's put the pastor card aside. I've been a Christian for over 40 years. 40 years. And I've still got areas in my life where the Lord says, you're still sucking on the pacifier. And the Lord's been saying, Chad, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. This is what I feel like the Lord is saying to us in the church today is it's time to grow up. It's time to lay the spiritual pacifiers aside and get out of the playpen and look like and act like and believe like and talk like more like Jesus. We've, we look more like the church than we do Jesus and that's not a good statement. We need to look like Jesus. The Lord is challenging me with this. I'll tell you that's been this Journey, like I said, that started for me in 2020, and it's just kind of marinated, and it's just kind of got inside of me. But as I've observed the body of Christ over the last several years, specifically, like I said, this journey really started for me in 2020, before COVID, but it specifically came to light for me during COVID as I observed what was happening in the body. And then as I saw the church come back to the church, remember when we got to come back in the doors? And I saw that half the church had left. And many of them just left. They're just not even a part of the body anymore. It's like we lost an arm. And I started seeing the reason that people left is because all they had was church, but they didn't have faith. They didn't have foundation. They didn't have discipleship. They didn't have anything in them. And so as I've observed the spiritual condition of the church, I've been saddened, I've been challenged, I've been disciplined, I've been convicted, my eyes have been opened. And in 2020, the Lord started speaking something to me that is the foundation of today's message. I don't know if the Lord spoke this to me before COVID or after. I just remember it was 2020. I remember where I was sitting. I was sitting in my office, and it was a Tuesday at the time because we were in staff prayer, and we would pray and meet on Tuesdays. Now we do that on Mondays, but it was Tuesday. And the Lord just whispered something to my heart that became kind of like a mantra for me that I've just kind of put inside of me because... If you remember at the beginning of this year, if you were here, I said the Lord, the word the Lord gave me for the year for me was stick to itiveness, grit. You guys remember that? Like we need to have some grit. 
Well, the Lord started speaking to me in 2020. He said to me, Chad, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. And for me, I knew that came from Luke chapter 9, verse 62. I knew that that was where that verse was referenced. But I knew that the Lord was speaking to me, Chad, it's time to put your hand to the plow and don't look back. And that's where I'm building the foundation of today's message. And that's what I want to challenge you with. But here's the question that I have for you. And I'm going to ask you several questions today that I want you to write down and wrestle with and ponder and, and talk about as a family and in your table groups. But here's the first question. It's the title of today's message. We're in this theme. Remember, what if Jesus was serious? This one wasn't even really on the radar, um, but here's the title. What if Jesus was serious about the cost? What if Jesus was serious about the cost? Let's pray. Jesus, I just, I really do sense you in this room. And I've prayed for this moment for a long time. And Lord, I just ask that you would open up each of our hearts today, like almost spiritually, like kind of pull them apart and let this word land in our heart. It's not an emotional moment. It's a true moment with you, Jesus. And I pray that you open all of our eyes to see our condition, Lord. There's not a spiritually elite person in this room today. We are all sons and daughters of God that need to hear this message, and you're calling all of us up today. So I pray that we receive it, and it lands for me where it needs to land for me, and let it land for them where it needs to land for them. No finger pointing, no condemnation, no judgment today from any of us. Just open hearts to hear this word. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we really dive into this, how many of you guys know we like to be comfortable? How many of you like to be comfortable? As I've gotten older, I like comfort even more. We like to be comfortable. In fact, I want to do a little study. Just kind of just show me by the raise of hands. When you go to bed at night, do you lay your head on a nice pillow or a big rock, which you would, who's the pillow crowd? Who likes a pillow? All right. Who lays their head on a rock? Anyone? All right. Why? Comfort. All right. Let's stay, let's stay in that vein. Would you rather sleep on a king size pillow top mattress that is temperature controlled with 10,000 count sheets, the perfectly weighted down comforter. Because I mean, you know, there's something about the perfect weight. It's weight, but it's not hot, but it's just like, it's just perfect. And you're like, oh, this is the perfect comforter. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like certain hotels, you stay in nicer hotels. And you're like, oh, this is it. And you want to be a thief and steal it and put it in your suitcase, right? How many of you would rather lay on that bed? Or my friend, um, Jason Finley, has this army cot that I borrowed um, to go hunting one time. And it was literally like, the most uncomfortable thing I've ever laid on in my entire life. How many of you like to lay on that cot with one? You remember those old itchy wool blankets that like they were really heavy, but the, the, those are the ones your grandma brought out to keep you warm. How many of you would rather lay on that nice 
king-size mattress. How many, that's your choice. How many would prefer the army cot with the wool blanket? Why? Comfort. Comfort. All right, here's another one. Let's get out of um, that vein. Let's go to a family trip. I will say this, Tosh and I, we all use the term vacation. Tosh and I no longer use the term vacation when our kids are involved. That's a family trip. A vacation and is when it's just her and I. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? So we're going on family trip, not vacation. It's two separate things. We're going on a family trip. How many of you would rather get in a 2023 Jeep, uh, you know, let's say a Jeep Wagoneer, fully loaded leather seats, um, temperature controlled seats. How many like air conditioned seats? Whoever created those was a genius. But anyway... Being in that, I mean, comfortable, like it drives itself. Have you been in those cars? If you get out of the lane just a little bit, it vibrates and tells you to get back over. Like that car, or my first car that I had was a 1981 Toyota Celica. Had white plastic seats, not leather. And I had to get, when I would leave school, I had to try to rush to beat my friends out of school because it took it a while to start. And I'd be out there, wah, 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 wah. And I was embarrassing. And then finally with Sarge, you kind of get this, and it started. And I was like, all right. You know, 1981 Toyota Celica cost my dad $1,500. I'm still not bothered and jealous by the fact that when my sister turned 16, she got like a newer Chevy Cavalier that costs like $6,500. And I remember I asked my dad one time, why'd you do that? And he's like, well, she's a girl. And if you break down, you're okay. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. If it breaks down, I'm still stranded. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so would you rather take that trip in the, how many of you would rather be in the Grand Wagoneer? Raise your hand. How many of you like to grow cross country in that 1981 Toyota Celica? There might be a few crazies in the room. They're like, I'll take that trip, you know. Or last one, last one. How many of you would rather we're going to go on a hike today? We're going to go on a five-mile hike. How many of you would rather have the latest pair of on clouds or hokas or your most comfortable shoes? How many of you would rather hike in that? Or I remember one time Tasha and I were in Kansas City and we were going out to dinner and she had this pair of high-heeled sh shoes. And I remember, I remember it was like, I remember she was like, I think I might need to go back and change, you know? How many of you like to do the hike in five-inch stilettos or comfortable tennis shoes? Comfortable tennis shoe crowd, raise your hand, all right? Stiletto crowd, raise your hand, all right? Jeff Ussery, we all know you like stilettos. But anyway, <laughs> here's the deal. Why do we raise our hand for certain? Because we like comfort. And I don't think comfort is bad. I like comfortable seats. I like air conditioning. I, and the older I get, the more I realize... I like comfortable shoes and it's not as much about fashion, right? Because we like comfort and there's nothing wrong with comfort until we start demanding comfort spiritually. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable until we start making demands of Jesus to be comfortable spiritually because here's what I want to tell you today and maybe this will bust somebody's bubble but Jesus never called us to be comfortable in Christianity, ever. And I'll admit, I've spent some years doing this thing called church. And I have looked in the Bible for some verses to scratch that itch. Like something that would say, like, Jesus blesses the comfortable. Wouldn't that be a great verse? Or as you draw close to Jesus, he will make you more comfortable. Wouldn't that be a great verse? I can't find them. I can't find anything that looks like that or even alludes to that. I can't find them in Scripture 
Jesus never said, hey, when you follow me, you'll be really, really comfortable. In fact, what I find in scripture is verses that are the exact opposite of comfort. In Matthew chapter 10, let's just look at a few things of what Jesus said. We're talking, remember, what if Jesus was serious about the cost. Let's look at Matthew 10, 37 through 39. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Ouch. Like, do we really, like, let's just, we could pause right there. Do we really think Jesus means that? Do we live that? Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. What if Jesus was serious about all of this? Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Let's just pause right there. Do we like to give up our own way? If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. I think that means comfort. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, listen to me, Destiny Church. We're talking spiritually. We're not talking physically right here. Okay, if you try to hang on to your life spiritually, this is mine. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want to do it. Scripture tells us, this is Jesus speaking, not me. But Jesus says, if that's your mentality spiritually, put the pacifier in your mouth, suck on a little bit. If that's your mentality spiritually, Jesus says, you are going to lose your life. Is this Okay. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And listen to me. I want you to hear me. We're not talking. I'm not talking today to people who've said yes to Jesus and that's it. And we just stop there. That's, there's, there, there's a part of it. There's an element of Christianity that all it requires is my yes. Let me say it again. There's an element of my Christianity that all it determines, all it needs is my yes. Yes to Jesus. Yes, I believe. Yes, I want to be forgiven. Good. But there is a cost beyond that. That part, that yes, is free. I can come in a dirty sinner having lived the most horrible life, and in one minute, Jesus can take his blood and make me spotless as a lamb. But after that, there's a cost. And I don't think we preach the cost enough. And these verses, these words from Jesus, if you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, you save it. And what do you benefit? Listen to this. This is one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Yet lose your soul. Why? Because is there anything more valuable than your soul? Let's look at the next set of verses. Mark chapter 8. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up for your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And one more verse, let's look at these. Luke chapter 14. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world again 
but lose your own soul is anything worth more than your soul just let's just sit there is anything I think that's a question for your heart. Is anything worth more than your soul? Let's keep going. <laughs> if any of you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. What a statement. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What do we get from these verses? Jesus never said, if you want to follow me, you will be really, really comfortable. That's not what he said. Jesus never said, hey, if you follow me, you're gonna have the best of life. If you follow me, it's gonna be really, really comfortable. If you follow me, it's gonna be really, really convenient and you'll have all kinds of friends. Jesus never said, if you follow me, nobody will ever be mad at you. Jesus never said, if you follow me, you'll get all the best stuff you want. Jesus never said, if you follow me, it'll be like living a luxurious vacation lifestyle. That's not what he said. Jesus said, if you follow me, it's going to cost you significantly. We okay? That's what Jesus says. Jesus said, you know, maybe, in the, maybe what we've been teaching in the westernized church or at the bare minimum what we've been wanting to hear is if you follow Jesus, you'll be comfortable, but that's not the message. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you. And this is where we come back to verse two, that what the Lord started speaking in my heart in 2020 about putting my hand to the plow. But two, three weeks ago, the Lord kind of was like, all right, Chad. And I started digging into this. And I've, and I've really just kind of the last few weeks just read these verses over and over again. And, but before I read these verses that I want to focus in on for today's message, I want to ask you a question. I think this one will be on the screen. I want you to take a picture of it. I think it's in your talk it overs. Um, I want you to write this down. But here's the question. To what extent are you willing to lay down your comfort, your pride, your selfishness, your fears, your insecurities, and subsequently deny your flesh, take up your cross, and follow Jesus no matter the cost? Leave that up there for just a minute, if you will, Celeste. I want to just, like, that's the question. That's what we're wrestling with today. This is what I want you to have the conversation with at your, with your family. I, I would love for nothing more than today after church, you know, when you go to eat with your family, you talk through this question. Ask your teenagers this. Ask your kids this. Your kids are learning about something different today, so this, isn't, this, this is still a good question. To what extent are you willing George Gallup in a recent poll found out that fewer than 10% of evangelical Christians could be called deeply committed. He said a big majority of people that they surveyed 
who profess Christianity don't know the basic teachings of Christianity. And this is the big thing. Christians do not act differently because of their Christian experience. One mainline denominational pastor put it this way, 90% of his churches across the country require less commitment than the local Kiwanis Club. Why? Because we've wanted it comfortable in the church and we don't want to put too many requirements or too many things. We want it to be easy, sit in the seat, live your sinful lifestyle, just come in, pay your tithe, make sure our building's full, and let's just all call it good. So let's read these verses. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. This is Luke 9, 57 through 62. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Verse 59. He said to another person, hey, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go about and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Jesus, I will follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Here we encounter two people who volunteer to be followers of Jesus and one person who Jesus asked to follow him. We don't see in this passage of scripture here in Luke, Chapter 9, we don't see how they responded. I believe, and, and many of the scholars I have studied through this do not believe they responded in a favorable way. I believe the reason they didn't say yes to the cost was because of the cost requirement. I don't know that, but the issue today isn't how did these people respond. The issue is how will I respond? The issue today isn't how will my spouse respond? The issue today isn't how will my child respond. The issue today is how will I respond. Because what's it profit if you gain the world but lose your soul? So how are you going to respond? The question again today is will I deny my flesh? Will I take up my cross? Will I follow Jesus no matter the cost? That's the question. And let's be really honest. On the surface, these three responses from these people, every one of them seem reasonable. Like these verses seem so reasonable that probably many of us in the room have skipped right past their response and maybe even got a little angry at Jesus and thought, Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Why do you, why did you respond that way? Because if all you do is just read the text and you don't understand what's happening, I can see that. But remember, when we read Scripture, let me teach you for just a moment. Remember, when you read Scripture, you can't read Scripture for your American eyes. And that's the problem. We read, we read Scripture thinking, what is Jesus saying to me as an American citizen? It wasn't written to us. Yes, it's written to us, but it was written in a Hebrew culture. And we have to understand what was written then, what was meant by what was said, and then how does that apply to my life today? But first of all, we have to understand the context and the culture and the region in which they're living. So when we read these verses, we have to understand that a little bit. Like, like I was thinking about this week, if Jesus had a marketing person, like this marketing person would probably have told Jesus, hey, your responses are a little harsh. If you want more followers, Jesus, you're going to have to tone it down a little bit, right? 
That's just kind of what's happening here. But let's look at verse 57, verse 58. We're going to break these down, and we're going to kind of just walk through these a little bit here. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. First of all, this first unnamed potential disciple had the right desire in mind. I think every one of us should have this desire to say, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. There's nothing wrong with this man's statement. I will follow you wherever you go. In fact, this is what scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us to follow him. 13 times bare minimum in the gospels, Jesus looks at different people and says, follow me. 13 times. Upwards of 22 times is that phrase, follow me, in some variation of scripture, like John 10, 27. If my sheep hear my voice, they know me, I know them, and they will follow me. So upwards of 22 times it says this phrase, follow me. So this unnamed potential disciple had the right desire in mind. So Jesus, his response honestly could seem a little bit harsh. I mean this person, man or woman, it doesn't say. But this dude just is like, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus' response to that sounds harsh. Because I'd like to think deep down we all want to say, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But the response of Jesus is not harsh when you understand that Jesus, what he's telling the man here, is consider the cost. Look at what Jesus says. Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay, Pastor Chad, are you telling me that to follow Jesus, I have to be penniless and homeless? Because if so, Pastor Chad, I'm out. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, if you want to be a follower of him, you have to be penniless and homeless. And I, and I admit, as I wrote these words and as I pondered these words, I did so from the comfort of my air-conditioned home. I studied at home one day this week, or my air-conditioned office, or even in my car. And I was in a somewhat comfortable chair, and I always had an ice-cold Dr. Pepper water within reach. So I was comfortable when I was writing these words. But Jesus is telling us following him. That's what he's stating here. Jesus is telling us following him is not easy, and it's not comfortable. Jesus was... In essence, what he's saying to this man is, hey, I love your heart to follow me, but before you declare I'm all in, before you stand up and say, Jesus, I want to be your, one of your top-level recruits, I want you to consider the cost. This is what Jesus is saying to this man. You have to consider the cost. Jesus is saying to him, hey, following me, before you stand up there and say I'm all in, Jesus is saying it's going to cost you some comfort. It's going to cost you some friends. It's going to cost you some convenience. It's going to cost you maybe some money. It might cost you a career. Following Jesus, here's what I've discovered. Following Jesus oftentimes makes you more uncomfortable than comfortable. Truly following Jesus is not easy. Truly following Jesus is not cheap, and I'm not talking about dollars and cents. There's a significant cost to it. It's not free. Following Jesus, listen to me, we do not travel the road most traveled by. We travel the road less traveled by. Where scripture says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many are on that, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and very few find that. There is a cost. It is significant. It's not free to follow Jesus. Is it going to cost you potentially dollars and cents? Yes. Could you potentially have to sell your house 
to follow Jesus? Yes, because I know people who have been living a comfortable life and the Lord said, hey, I need you to move to Africa. Okay, Lord. Jason, I know a guy very well, a guy that Brian knows. If you guys have been to Africa with us, Doug knows him. His name is Mike Peer. He was a former drug addict, but he was an engineer from NASA and had a high-dollar career. And he sold it all and moved to Zimbabwe. So yes, it might cost you your house. It might cost you a job. It might cost you friends. Following Jesus is not cheap. It's not easy. And I apologize to you that as a pastor, I or any other pastor who's been a voice in your life, I apologize and I repent that we've made you think following Jesus is easy because it's not. And I'm just telling you and I'm just trying to prepare you because I, I, I can see what's coming in America. I can see what's coming Toward Christians, I can see what's coming. It is not going to be, we're not going to be able to continue serving Christ at the level of commitment we've been at. There's a cost. Remember the question again. Will you deny your flesh, take up your cross, and follow Jesus no matter the cost? That's the question today. All right, let's look at the next set of verses. Verse 59 through 60. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go out and preach about the kingdom of God. I have to admit on the surface, this verse, if you just read it, seems like one of the most harsh things Jesus ever says, Right? Like, Jesus, the dude's dead. Dad is dead. He just wants to go and bury him. Like, relax a little bit, man. That's like what I, like when, it, when you just read it, it's like, I just want to go and bury my dad. Like, I, I was thinking of it through my lens. Like, if my dad passed away, I would hope that Jesus wouldn't tell me, if you go bury your dad, you're not one of my followers. That's not what Jesus is saying. Again, remember, this is why we have to understand context and culture. What was written? Who was it written to? What's the audience? So to give you a little understanding, I, I found this C, uh, G. Campbell Morgan um, refers to a traveler in the Middle East who is trying to enlist a young Arab man to be his guide. So this is where this story where Jesus is talking to this man here. This is where this type of story would have happened. So this is Middle Eastern culture in that era of the day of Jesus. The man replied, hey, I cannot be your guide because I have to go and bury my father. And so this man on the surface thought, okay, it makes perfect sense. Go and bury your dead. What he found out was this man's dad had not yet died. What this was, this was an expression during that time period, meaning that he had to stay with his father as long as he was alive. So when Jesus said to this second potential unnamed disciple, follow me, and this disciple's pretty much like, hey, I would love to follow you, but first let me go and bury my dead. This person, what they were in essence saying was, this is it. This is what scholars say. Let me wait until I receive my inheritance. That's what he's saying. Let me receive my inheritance, and then I'll follow you. Or 
Jesus, when it's more convenient for me, this is really what I'm saying, Jesus, when it's more convenient for me, and when the timing is right, then I'll follow you. Now does this make more sense? So this is why we want to understand Scripture. This is why sometimes we blitz through Scripture and we don't understand it. And we just keep moving forward. But when we really dig into Scripture and understand what it's meaning, culture, context, time, place, setting, all of those things, it begins to make sense to us. And then we're like, okay, there is a significant cost of following Jesus. Because listen to me, if this man's dad was dead, this man never would have even been there when Jesus, this man would have been with the mourners. This man's dad is not dead. This man's dad is very much alive, and how often, I wonder, have we been guilty of very similar uh, conversations with the Lord? How often have we, listen to me, deferred obedience until a more convenient time? How often? Lord, I'll follow you, like, let's go back to when we were in school. Lord, I'll follow you more significantly when I'm not in high school and there's not as much pressure. Right? Are we alive? How many of you remember making statements like that? Lord, I'll follow you when this timing is right. Whereas we get into, like, I remember thinking, I remember when I was a kid, the biggest thing I wanted in life was to get married. Lord, don't let the rapture come back until I get married. Remember things like that? But Lord, I'll follow you when I get married. Or when we get married, Lord, when the kids get out of this phase of life, then we'll really follow you. And listen to me, I'm not talking about giving Jesus your yes here. I'm talking about beyond the yes. Okay? So I'm not talking about saying, Lord, I'll be a Christian when this happens. No, you're a Christian. We're t- I'm talking to the body of Christ today. I believe there's coming a day when hundreds of thousands of people that are lost and dying and don't know Jesus are going to overwhelm Destiny Church. I see lines of people waiting to get in our doors. Okay? I'm just telling you what I see. But right now, the Lord is saying it's time for the body to grow up. Because we have to be ready when they come. So Lord, speaking to us today, this is to Christians. If you're a sinner in the room, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes. But right now, I'm speaking into the room and online to people that are followers of Jesus. You've already given him your yes. So I'm talking about many of us after we've already given him our yes, and Jesus comes to us and says, hey, will you follow me? Yes, when the kids grow up. Yes, when I get my career on track. Yes, when this happens, right? As we get older, yes, when I get this bought and I get comfortably financially here, Jesus, right now, that's my goal. I gotta have, I've got a number amount that I want in my bank account, and Jesus, once I get there, then I'll follow you. Or Jesus, once I get my kids through grade school and we get done with all the travel ball and we get that all settled, then I'll go. Or Jesus, once I, you know, right now we're in some marriage squabbles and I think we're not going to make it. But once we get through this marriage pattern here and we figure out what's on the other side, then we'll follow you. Here's what I found out. I always have something on my to-do list. And what a lot of us say is, Lord, when my to-do list is empty, then I'll follow you. But here's the deal. We always have something on our to-do list. And until the call to follow Jesus outweighs your to-do list, you are living in obedience, disobedience. 
Let me say it again. Until your desire to follow Jesus wherever he says to go, until your yes outweighs your to-do list, you are living in disobedience. Pastor Chad, there's no way you can say that. I'm just taking scripture and I'm saying, if you don't follow me and if you don't deny yourself and pick up your cross, Jesus is saying, you're not worthy. There's a cost. It's significant. I don't think we've been paying it. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't love you, but I'm saying that what's coming our way, we have to turn the ship and we have to fix our eyes on Jesus and chase after him with all of our hearts. There's a cost. It's not cheap. It's not free. I can't look like the world and still say I love Jesus. I have to look different. There's a cost. It's significant. It's not free. Here's what happens when we defer obedience. What we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, you're pretty important, but you're not the most important. Let me say it again. When we defer obedience, because here's the deal. I could come to every one of you in this room, everybody online, everybody that watches this sermon this week, I could talk to every one of you And I could ask you, is there an area in your life that you've not fully given to the Lord that he's asked for? And I would say, the majority of us probably say, yeah, there's this one area. Listen to me. What you're saying is, Jesus, you're important, but you're not as important as this. This is the Lord of my life. Honest conversation, right? What is more important in your life than Jesus? I'm just telling you, there, again, there's no, no finger pointing, no judgment, just the heart of a pastor who wants to see every one of us in this room Become who God has called us to become. Put your to-do list aside and follow Jesus. So here's the question again. And I don't, I don't think this is a question. I, honestly, this week, I, I have prayer with intercessors, and I felt like the Lord kind of spoke this to me Wednesday, praying with them. And this isn't an ultimatum. I, I believe that this is really an invitation I believe the Lord is inviting you, and I'm going to show you a story to close today where the Lord invited somebody to follow him. I believe the Lord is inviting you to come up here. Now, let me tell you, when the Lord invites you to come up here, he's not saying it's more comfortable up here. The air is clear up here. That's not what he's saying. What I found out is the higher I go up spiritually, the more demons I fight. But what the Lord is saying to me and what he's saying to us is, Chad, here's an invitation. Come up higher. I'm not promising comfort, but I am promising adventure. And I am promising that you'll do things you never even dreamed possible. It's an invitation. So let's look at the last excuse and then we'll wrap it up. Don't pay attention to the clock. Don't look at your clock. I told you I had a lot to say. I had a lot more in this message, and I started whittling it down, so just, just so you know. Verse 61, another person said, Lord, 
I will follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone? And he puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Isn't fit for the kingdom of God. This potential would-be disciple, and Jess, you can come back. This potential would-be disciple said, I want to follow you, but I have some conditions. How many of you have some conditions? Right? Lord, I'll follow you, but here's my conditions, my restrictions. He was willing to follow Jesus if he could simply do what he needed to do first. That's what he's saying. How many of you, Lord, I'm willing to go where you want me to go, but I first of all got to do this. Right? Lord, I'll go, but first I got to do that. First I got to take care of this. First I got to live this. See, many of us, we say our first love is somewhere other than our relationship with Jesus. That's what this man was saying. Jesus wasn't telling him. He couldn't say, hey, run to his family and say, hey, Jesus told me to follow him. I'm following him. That wasn't what the man was saying. The man was saying, hey, there's some more important things than you. Once I go and tend to those, but let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever said like, yes, Lord, but I got to do this and you want to take care of that and you still haven't got to what the Lord asked you to do? How many of you, how many of you, the Lord told you to do something five years ago, 10 years ago, and you said, Lord, let me take care of this one thing. Now you look back and think, man, I never did that. So this is what this is speaking to. This man was like, let me go. And Jesus was saying, I understand that you desire, but I understand the heart of man. And the heart of man is let me tend to that. And when you do, you don't come back to this. That's what this is saying. And many of us, what we're saying is, Jesus, you're important, but you're not the most important relationship in my life. My family's more important. My wife's more important. My kids are more important. My career, my hobbies, my agenda, whatever. It's like all that's more important. And Jesus is like, no, here's what Jesus says. The cost is the first and greatest commandment. What is it? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's the cost. He's first. He's first. He's first. He outweighs it all. If there's a balancing scale, it can't be just slightly. It's Jesus first. He's first. And please hear me, outside of your relationship with Jesus, I'm not up here saying like you should sacrifice your family because I'll tell you what I did in ministry. I put my family on the back burner and went wholeheartedly after God. And minute, I, I, let me say this. I didn't go wholeheartedly after God. I went wholeheartedly after building the church. And I put my family on the back burner. Listen to me. Your family should not be sacrificed for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's not what this is saying. In fact, the Bible tells us multiple times to honor mother, father, honor family. He's not saying put your family behind you. It's not what he's saying. But he's saying if your family or a relationship or anything is more highly in your life than him, that needs to be put in second place. That's what he's saying. If any man puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. 
How many of you have ever tried to drive a car and look behind you? Like literally, like get up, like wait till you get out of the church parking lot. Go do it at Walmart parking lot, wherever. But like try to drive your car and look back. Just tell me how straight of a line you drive. And I looked at this and it's talking about plowing. One of the reasons this is using, this is a, a culture that plows. They didn't want crooked lines, straight rows. The Bible tells us, fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher. We need to fix our eyes on him. Proverbs tells us, don't look left, don't look right, but look straight ahead. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is first. Put him first. I wonder today, how serious is Jesus about the cost? Jesus, I love you, but I got all kinds. I'll be, Jesus, I'll pick that plow up in a minute, but I got stuff. Jesus, I'm back. Jesus, Jesus, I'll be right back. I got something else. Any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Destiny Church, I'm inviting you higher. Destiny Church, I'm inviting you to pay the price. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not a king-size pillow-top mattress that's climate-controlled. It might feel more like that cot with that itchy wool sheet, but it's the price that we must pay to follow Jesus. Any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Am I saying scrap everything to follow Jesus? No. There's things in your life that are good, that are fine. I'm not up here today saying abandon everything. That's not the message. The message is fix your eyes on Jesus. The message is chase after him with all your heart. The message is do not let anything, anything be higher on your list than Jesus. That's the message. That's the message today. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus. Is Jesus the most important thing? Not your career, not your family, not your hobbies, not your toys, not your bank account, not your sports, not graduating, not getting married, not the next child that's coming, not the next grandchild that's coming. Is Jesus most important thing in your life? Because Jesus says if he's not my question is, are you really following? Remember the question today. Remember the question today. To what extent are you willing to lay down your comfort, your pride, your selfishness, your fears, your insecurities, let me add to it, your rights, your stuff, your agenda, your whatever it might be, how willing are you to lay all that down and subsequently deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? I'm going to close with one story, and the whole band can come back. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 19 between a man by the name of Elijah and Elisha. It's a great story. Elijah has been the prophet of God, and now it's time for him to pass the mantle. And he finds a man by the name of Elisha. And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 19, he just kind of comes by this man and 
throws an invitation. He throws the cloak on him. He throws the anointing. He throws the mantle on him, the call. And Elisha takes off running after him. He's like, I'm going. And listen to what it says. Elijah says this to him in verse 20. Go on back and think about what I've done to you. Elijah is saying to him, consider the cost. Because what you see in this text here is Elisha was at the bare minimum for a very wealthy family. He's not behind 12 oxen. He has 12 teams of oxen. He's behind the 12th team. How many oxen are that? 24. This is a wealthy man with a wealthy production company, a wealthy farming company, whatever it might be. He's got his own company. He's got his own stuff. And Elijah says to Elisha, go back and consider the cost. You have a significant cost. You have quite a bit that you're going to leave to do what I'm asking you to do. And Elisha's like, I'm in. And what's Elisha do? This is one of the craziest stories in the Bible. Elisha doesn't go back and just lay his plow aside and say, hey, I'm giving you this set of oxen and I'm giving you this set of oxen. No, he burns it all. That was the biggest bonfire ever. Today I'm inviting you not to simply put your hand to the plow. Today I'm inviting Destiny Church, let's burn the plows. And let's go all in for God. Let's pay the price.